I'm Andrew Montessi with Mr. Ben Avery and uh, Thomas Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mere mention of them is evidently hilarious to all. Ben involved. Cakes Avery. Here we are back at Cakes Manor. Cakes Manor, and we've actually got some beer, which is nice of you, Ben. Um, so what is change. it? Sleeping Giant IPA I'm by the um, Gage Roads Brewing Company. I'm only here for the beer. So if you're listening, um, Managing Director of Gage Roads Brewing, please note that we have given you a plug. and uh, we Let's see what it tastes it. like first before we... Oh, I actually did mine. I've had a couple of sips. Not too bad. Yeah, I'd have to say I was underwhelmed when you brought them out of the fridge, but I'm subsequently overwhelmed <laughs> more so than I was when I was underwhelmed. Moving so, on. Come, sorry, I might not be quite just... as whelmed as I was in the this first This podcast instance, is but, off to a great start. But having been at, and what I'm doing now is making this <laughs> chopping motion in the air to show where I was at the start. Should we start um, again? Way down, yeah, let's just and then somewhat up again. This is actually so bad that it's good. Uh, <laughs> before we get into this episode, I just want to reflect on our um, most recent episode. Um, well, I've had some thoughts, actually. Okay, yeah, nice. Bob, uh, please, please, go I've on. i some notes on our first episode because I actually had a bit of, I guess, what you'd call an epiphany. Um, a revelation. A revelation uh, stemming from our chat about Fireman Sam. Um, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Before you start, let's not defame anyone. Um, I'm going to go into that afterwards. People. I, have, I do have to try to explain this to you, Pete, because there was some significant edits made. <laughs> I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. I think, you know, when, in pointing out the somewhat disturbing nature of the relationship between Trevor Evans, the <laughs> bus driver, uh, and, He's his, raising it and again. his evident fixation on naughty, naughty What you're doing price. is following up on something that didn't even make the last episode. <laughs> so um, anyone listening now doesn't even know what you're talking no, about. We'll get to that. Please, go on, Tom. Well, it, it was noted, you know, how rare it is um, for, you know, people with red, redheads are rare in, in themselves. And we wondered whether um, painting Norman Price, the town pyromaniac, as a redhead was in some way, um, you know, a slap at redheads. But I pointed out, uh, quite unusually, Fireman Sam is also a redhead. Yep. And I realised how unusual that is. And then it dawned on me that Norman Price is clearly the illegitimate son of <laughs> Fireman Sam. And this explains, the, it basically unlocks the whole series for me. You've got a single mum, Dillis, who lets him get away with murder. And why the hell does Fireman Sam keep tolerating this in, you know, persistent poor behaviour and letting him off with no more, well, basically scot-free? Because he feels a deep-seated sense of guilt about his abandonment. I think, I think you're onto something because generally with these shows, there's stuff in it for kids, but they also try and entertain and interest the adults. Perhaps that is something they've put in there so smart people like yourself. It you would know. also explain why Simon Sam himself has such a deficient personality on the show. You know, he's obviously retreated into himself <laughs> and doesn't really want to give of himself again uh, lest he gets his heart broken as he did by Dillis. It's interesting, but I think we've explored it enough now. We can probably move on. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should flesh this out over the course of months. <laughs> Rich, I can dig deep into Fireman Sam because I feel like you're just scraping the surface. Uh, well, look, it certainly opened my eyes to the possibilities of that, of that television program. But look, you did mention it, Tom, and we had a significant issue where there were a couple of um, potentially defamatory issues that came up in our last episode well um, only if you 
or and the theory that the characters in that children's television show are actual people. No, but I did seek legal advice and um, my advisors did tell me that we could have been at risk from the producers of the show. Um, so, look, Ben raised the issue and... Who was your, who was your legal counsel? Look, I can't say it's... Um, I'm, I'm guessing you didn't pay for their services and I'd also suggest that you got your money's worth. But there were a number of issues where Ben in particular actually... Um, made me cut bits and pieces out. He was yeah, very, he was very swift on the edits. He was very swift. Over. And I, I just want to draw a line in the sand now and say that we will not be censored. And I do not want dads don't know to be part of some sort of censorship. That's okay. I think we were just a bit... household. I think we were a bit loose in the first couple of episodes. I think that we got a bit carried away trying to be funny and probably said a few things we shouldn't have. We're still going to try to be funny, but we're just going to tighten things up a little bit. Lessons have been learnt. But I don't know if you could hear... Ritz um, have been issued. That's enough out of you for one moment. Um, I don't know if you could hear uh, crying in the background. That's my 10-week-old son, Jack. Who... I thought there was just some sound effects that you were playing, actually. No, well, it did work that way. Hopefully the microphone picked that up. Mm. Because it brings us on to the topic of this podcast, which is sleeping. Mm. Um, Very subtle way of getting things back on track. Good segue. Yeah, yeah, great segue. Well was... done. Yeah, it's... It's certainly a, a controversial and important issue for all parents. Guys, what are your... Do you guys have any theories? Sleep? No, I don't have any you sleep. You don't have any sleep? No, no. Do you have any theories that you work off? Um, you mean how to get a child well, to sleep? Well, all parents seem to have their own philosophies that they follow as far as what they will do with sleep. Control crying? Is it attachment parenting? I'm a big rap for controlled crying, and we resisted that with our first child, Finn, for probably the best part of a year, and then it just became, you know, in- inevitable, and it largely worked. Um, recently, Alice, the younger one, has, who was always a naturally good sleeper, became a shithouse for a while. Just <laughs> decided to no. Um, decided to basically scream you know, in a really violent way at bedtime, which was a departure from her usual smile, roll over and fall asleep. Was this middle and of this the night or when you were trying to... Well, it down. was putting her down, middle of the night and morning, like early, early morning. Um, and it was, and we first of all thought this is a bit of a phase, it'll, it'll stop soon enough. And it was literally, it got to the point where I would just have a mattress in the hall and when it started off in the middle of the night just move it into her room because the only way she would settle is if you were in her room didn't have to do anything but you just had to sit yeah. there i would spend an hour there at bedtime and then i would spend most of the that night put there. me to sleep i think well and then the only way to finally nip it in the bud um and it was the same in day, uh, day sleeps um was that one day sleep when Gemma wasn't there i said right i'm not gonna put up with this anymore and had to had to let her go with it which was pretty traumatic for all concerned she probably went for about 40 50 minutes and then the next that night she probably went for 15 20 minutes and then the next night she went straight to sleep and that's the end of that it sounds harsh but you've really got to break them <laughs> you've got to break this just got to learn the lesson hey look it does sound harsh and it's really it is easy to talk about. It's very difficult to put into action. You know, it's not that pleasant to listen to your kids screaming their head off and in obvious distress. It's worth remembering if you accede to their 
demands, i.e. pick them up, take them out, whatever, they're in a pretty good mood within about 30 seconds. So I, mm. you know, that is enough to tell you that it's not a deep-seated trauma. But the other thing is, um, it's for their own good. They need to learn how to sleep. If they're not learning how to put themselves to sleep, they're not going to have a particularly happy sleep life, mm. which you know is pretty one, important. One third of their future years. Your point that you got to nip it in the bud early because we, with Frankie, my three and a half year old, we were sort of semi committed to control crying, but because we didn't commit properly, he's even now he's still a bit naughty. And the problem is when you let it go and they can actually talk. And when they're a bit bigger, they can jump out of cots and do whatever. It becomes a whole lot worse. And then it's far more traumatic when they're yelling, Daddy, help! Help! <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. Like, at different ages, it's a different issue. Because, yeah, it's, it's a different kettle of fish when they're three or four and can talk back. And Finn, who was always a shit-out sleeper, and, but now just sleeps through anything. The only issue is getting him to sleep. And around the time Alice was doing this, he had his own thing, which was... He would just come out about maybe 20 times in a row until about, you know, literally 9.30, 10 o'clock and just come out and smirk at you. It really gave me the shits. <laughs> <laughs> and I would I tried a very heavy-handed approach with him, like, you know, I'm going to throw your fire engine in the bin if you don't go to bed. And that sort of worked, but it was not a particularly, you know... Positive. Positive point. reinforcement of anyone's, you know. I not sort of then would have that sour tone over it so Gemma actually took took control of that one and put up a star chart mm. and um, said if you go straight to sleep um, you'll get a star and if you get seven stars in a row then you'll get a toy and that worked a treat more or less and the funny thing is he didn't really care too much about the toy he just you know having an aspiration to get a star seemed to do the trick yeah Frankie's so there you go folks it's two little pieces of worldly wisdom there's some gold there some absolute gold but yeah frankie's been exactly the same that reward is what helps but we've had so we've done with frankie we were semi-committed to control crying it hasn't worked worked out that well it's been okay but not perfect whereas pearl my daughter committed to day one control crying went to the sleep doctor you know got everything sorted as to how we were going to sort her out now these sleep doctors yeah, like that's... genuine people because like, is it a real thing because as far that's as I can thing. tell all they do is say to everyone go home and put the child oh, to bed exactly. and then it's not rocket science. don't do anything the sleep doctor is a GP with an extra certificate pretty much but the extra certificate just means that they just tell you do control crying I don't I've never heard of any sleep doctor doing anything other than oh, saying no, they, oh, do, they do a little fine. bit more it's a bit to do with, they talk about um, feeding and routines and all that sort of stuff as well. but you're right it's not rocket science but um, what were you going to say then you, I cut you off oh uh, yeah I haven't seen a sleep doctor myself or haven't seen one for Jack but uh, <laughs> 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 seen plenty for myself um I haven't seen one for Jack, but uh, a friend of mine from work forwarded me some notes that he'd received from a sleep doctor, and it was very much all about routine. Which friend from work? Uh, <laughs> we, we're always so interested in these people that Ben refers to. Ben's got a very glamorous job for anyone listening, you know, so it's, it's television bound, to be, it's I can bound tell, to be someone famous. I can tell you later on who it was, if you like, but right. for now, anyway, we'll forwarded these notes, and very much about routine, so... Feeding Jack three uh, three hourly during the day, making the last feed at around six o'clock at night, 
Um, and loading him up before bed. Loading him up, giving him a bath, giving him a massage. Uh, <laughs> oh, massage? Yeah. Seems a bit yeah. Like he's two, never got massages. Two separate sources have told us to do that, and it seems to work okay. What, like a deep tissue? You do um, clockwise motion around the stomach because apparently that's the way the intestines run so it helps him digest whatever he's eaten which is obviously milk (laughs) (laughs) and nothing but milk at 10 months old Uh, and then there's a massage of the arms which goes all the way down Uh, sorry 10 weeks 10 weeks Uh, (laughs) can we edit that no Um, no. it's not worthy of an edit it's uh, it's not defamatory do you want to hear about my massage uh, massage sure. of the arms, massage of the legs. He gets changed. He gets put down to bed, and then um, he tends to sleep almost all of the way through the night. Well, see, that's why I hate you because <laughs> you don't deserve to have that kind of good night's sleep after only ten weeks. So we. I haven't had a good night's sleep in four and a half years, largely because I don't go to bed till about two. That's, that's <laughs> what? I'll put my hand up to that <laughs> faux pas. The but, sleep doctor's been good for Hannah and a few other people that uh, we know just as someone to validate what they're doing and the good thing about him whether you agree subscribe to his theories or not is he's really accessible cheap like it's not like a psychologist and they make themselves available even just for a quick phone call or email so I've got a a mate's wife is just constantly emailing him this episode is sponsored by the (laughs) (laughs) sleep I take back everything I said about being quacks but there's some stuff where like you know it's, it can be perceived as pretty harsh. And we've gone down the hard road with Frankie recently because he's been a bit of a pain in the ass because he's, he's a bit up and down. But now that he's big enough, he just goes and opens the door and just comes wandering out. So we've put a lock on the outside of the door and we lock him in. <laughs> Seriously, and that's what the you sleep doctor is. We've imprisoned him. And at first I was like, oh, geez, I said to Hannah, geez, that seems, just, just doesn't seem right. But then she rightly said, well, you put a, we've got Pearl in a cot. It's a prison of sorts. Yeah, don't well, but don't you actually put him in the cot as a punishment? We did, but now he's learnt to escape. <laughs> <laughs> he finally learnt, He's the most conservative um, kid. Like He never puts himself in dangerous situations to the point where he could almost step over the barrier of the cot. But only now has he just learnt to, um, to jump over it. So yeah, we've got the lock on the outside of the door. But all he does now is just bash the crap out of the door. Mm, so yeah. it's like one in the morning and he's bang, 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 bang. But Jake's doing there. Is he still participating in this episode? I've got the I've got the email that my um, colleague sent to me, and I'll actually be able to show you who it was now, Richo, and then we can move on from that. Um, yeah, that's who I thought it was. Yeah. So uh, had his name. The it's good. Good radio, guys. Yeah. Yeah. The guy. <laughs> Sorry about the uh, the thing about the redheads before. <laughs> involved. Um, the golden rule, she says, this sleep doctor is. The mother is always the expert, which I think uh, we'd all agree with. Um, And certainly advice uh, for one baby doesn't necessarily work for the other one. Um, But what she talks about mainly in this email is a routine, and it's a routine that involves feeding at set times. So 6 o'clock in the morning, followed by sleep, 9 o'clock in the morning, followed by play and then sleep. And then basically three hourly, you repeat that process until, oh, funny enough, she talks about the massage as well at uh, 6.30 at night. This is, I think this is a rival sleep doctor. Yeah. It's different. Well, it's a very room. competitive industry. It is. Yeah. <laughs> if you can be just a GP with an extra certificate, why wouldn't you get it? She recommends the father actually bottle feeding during the night too to give the mum a break. That's but, rubbish. Uh, yeah, absolutely rubbish. That is. That is Who is this woman? Who is this woman? Where's her qualifications? Yeah, that's what I've always done. 
I've always been the one that, get, that gets up in the night. Well, I'm yeah, sure so we'll talk about cool. feeding in a separate episode, so I don't want to blow away all of the material. But um, if Emily doesn't feed every three hours, she gets really sore breasts. So yeah, yeah uh, well, not like, not like breastfeeding. That is it. So Definitely know, wasn't my role, but um, but you know, really from the very start, that has been a large part of my of my role is the sort of early rising and mid mid sort of middle of the night stuff. I so, don't really so why I've gotten railroaded into. Yeah, it. I was going to say, how does that work? Well, well I think partly because um, I was working more. And therefore, I see the kids less. So, you know, in some ways, it's quite a good opportunity to spend a bit of time with them. Um, but in other ways, it's an opportunity to completely fuck up your uh, <laughs> your own, you know, requirements of sleep. So, are we are we swearing in this podcast? Yeah, Because yeah, I, yeah, I have been. Yeah, like, I probably should have checked before. No, no, no. We can swear. That's fine. And drop that F-bomb. Did you say the F-bomb? Yeah, he did. He, oh, s- he slipped a little I F-bomb. say it so often you wouldn't notice it in regular well, conversation. Clearly. Well, ben will send us a text in two days and demand that we cut it out. So. Yeah, he'll get cold feet about the whole thing. No, it's interesting. I've... He, he also twice demanded we took down the entire podcast, by the way. <laughs> Which we did at one point. Didn't he we? went through varying stages of fear to, oh, I love it, I hate it, pull it down, no, it's great. <laughs> it's this emotional roller coaster that we've been on for the last week. I think if people knew some of the things that we cut out, they would understand. Yeah. You were just down to you the whole. Yeah, you just thought your reputation... Well, I was saying that when you were refusing to cut that out, so I was having to be very extreme with my point of view. I think part of the issue was that M was lukewarm on the original episode, but then turned it around with her appraisal of the of the subsequent episode. Well, I would agree with her. I thought the first episode was fairly ordinary. Yeah, well, I think we're... A, uh, three out of ten. We're turning, turning things back onto ourselves again, which is... <laughs> Cannibalising ourselves. Yeah, but look, to perhaps wrap up this sleep section i want one tip from each of you well the thing is it's not you can't compare apples with oranges as they say um and the the issues around sleep can be you know basically different from child to child and they could have a reflux. so you got nothing you got nothing to give out is that what you're saying <laughs> just say it tom well, get mate. to get to the point we want one piece of advice Does, people know that it may not work for them but humorous anyway well, I've given like I've, you know, I've given several pieces of advice already that you can take on board. Actually, yeah, you were pretty good at the start. I'll give you that. So you know, I'll, I'll take that. I think it was more of a, I think it was more of a summary that Andrew was trying to get up there. So out of everything we've spoken about, what is your one key piece of advice? Um, this isn't an advice exactly, but a consolation, <laughs> a consolation if it just isn't working for you, is that. Actually, being up at about three a.m. with a you know relatively newborn, and, you know, having you know putting on the TV or whatever, especially if you've got in the middle of six weeks off, is a not necessarily unpleasant way to spend your time. Sometimes, that's all. That's a terrible piece of advice. No, I'm just saying there's a bright side to it. You know, you don't after not very long, you don't get very many peaceful moments with your child, so you might as well enjoy it when it comes along. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, my piece of advice uh, would be routine. Stick to a routine and uh, things will follow from there. Well, thanks, Cakes, because you've honed that advice over a long period of time. Well, I have over 10 weeks. That seemed like 10 years sometimes. <laughs> yeah, routine's important. We did, that. we did a very strict routine with Finn, which was quite comical in a way. Like it was so to the minute because he was such a bad sleeper that 
you'd be coming back from the cafe when we finally got our shit together to be able to go outside and do things and um and you'd realize it was two minutes to the time you put him down and his eyes would literally start drooping you have to start running so that you can get home and put him down before he fell asleep and once i was too late then he was just lying on the floor or tuck it out should we have a signal we should give richo when he's going on for too long no no <laughs> maybe a little, go, a little bell I always go for too long. <laughs> we'll bring you a little bell brevity is not my friend no it's funny coming back to another sleep doctor point in and it's been true with our kids is that you've got a tiny window from when they're tired to when they become overtired and when they become absolute psychos so when they're overtired is when all hell breaks loose and you can't do anything that's true that's they are not pleasant people when they're overtired my little piece of gold would be to just particularly boys load them up load them up with milk get them on solids early that's like Frankie was a big boy Um, you would have seen him back in the day he was morbidly obese as a child as a baby and that was but he slept so well after um, Hannah started loading him up with milk and everything else so load him up it's my little tip good tip how many other things have we got to uh, explore in terms of sleep no look I feel like for now I think we should wrap up this little segment I think we can come back to it because sleep is a um, massive fundamental issue it is it is the issue really I'm I'm trying to wrap up this segment because I'm really keen to get Richo's thoughts on the next children's show that we are going to be discussing so you're saying it's time for a Richo's review yeah Richo's review he's already you already revisited Fireman Sam from last episode if you didn't listen to the last episode you should probably go back to episode two and just um yeah. And the thing is, you may have Treat listened to yourself. the start of episode two and thought it was really boring and switched it off, but the gold was at the end. When... Yeah, so just fast forward. If you don't like this sort of semi-serious stuff, just yeah, fast forward to the review. It is the highlight. It is. There's no doubt. So look, I'm, I'm going to go back to really the enduring classic of children's television, uh, the early Thomas with the... Mm. Uh, Ringo Starr's narration, um, the former Beatle, in case you're unfamiliar with pop culture. Um, <laughs> which is, incidentally, pop culture was uh, Cakes's... Was slated as the name of preferred this Preferred name for this show, which I was in favour of. I thought it was very clever, but it actually did make it sound like it was... Grandpa's. Something it wasn't. So yeah. he vetoed it in the end, reluctantly. Um, so... And I'm actually going to look at a specific episode, but it's worth revisiting. It's the early Thomas, um, because they're from the early 80s and it was a different time. Uh, and we all remember it with some nostalgia and, uh, and uh, you know, affection, those early clay animation Thomas. Uh, but when you go back, the interesting thing that strikes you is what complete and utter arseholes the engines are. <laughs> Thomas in particular, but they are just complete pricks to one another. I mean, when they're going through some kind of crisis, they never do this now, they always help each other through it. All they do is pull up alongside and give each other shit, and then <laughs> potentially blow out some steam in their faces on their way through. Why, is that? Is that a reflection of something deeper? Um, what? Why do you think there was so much anger and bitterness I think on the it, railroads? Well, I think it's because the whole thing is really an analogy of the British unions in the early 1980s. And that's why I'm going to look at one particular episode, which is a, from the first season, and it's one of the more iconic episodes, Trouble in the Shed. And I just want to <laughs> offer a different perspective on this episode, because it's quite uncanny. It first aired in 1984, 
and those au fait with their English history will recall that 1984 was the year of the year-long miners' strike when Margaret Thatcher tried to shut down the uneconomic pits and uh, the, the nations, the UK's miners, all went on strike. And it was a prolonged thing. There was a lot of violent clashes, arrests, some mm. you know, a couple of deaths just from people who crossed picket lines and that kind of thing. So it was a real tinderbox atmosphere that this early Thomas was being viewed in. It's a bit hard to concentrate on my notes when you've got cakes doing the housework in the background. Ben's in the kitchen doing dishes. What I, are you doing? I walked away when Tom somehow managed to bring Thomas the Tank Engine back to politics, as he often does. No, I, was, I was on the edge of my seat. Please continue, Tom. Well, the thing about this episode, which is um, it, it, it really highlights who these characters represent, because they're working for this, um, you know, they. Topham Hat, aka the Fat Controller, um, who is also knighted, I'll point out. So he's clearly there to represent the uh, British establishment. And then you've got uh, Thomas, Edward, and Percy, who are basically scabs, because the rest of the railway, quite rightly, in IMHO, decide to go out on strike because they're being asked to do tasks that are not in their um, EB. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thomas. Edward and Percy, yes, we should name them and shame them, continue, continue to offer their labour, no doubt for no recompense, uh, in order to help the fat controller, a.k.a. Sir Topham Hatt, to, uh, to uh, get his you know, deliveries done, etc. Um, he's obviously the capitalist and he keeps talking about really useful engines, um, but if you have any doubt as to which side of the de- of this debate the um, producers of the show are on. The episode ends with uh, Gordon, James and Henry, who were, who, who have been on strike trying to get, you know, improved pay and conditions, uh, as, is their, as is their want, uh, end up cold, lonely and miserable and realise how silly they have been. <laughs> <laughs> so really that was a, that would have been a sort of a, exploded like a an end bomb on the political scene of, of the so United was, Kingdom back in 1984. So that, and I would, I would argue it aired the year of the minor strike wow. uh, when there was a political tinderbox ready to blow. And I would argue that uh, if that isn't the biggest sellout of Ringo Starr's Liverpudlian working class <laughs> roots, I don't know what is. So that was back in the day when... Shame, it, Ringo, shame. When I watched Thomas the Tank Engine, um, it had a very memorable theme song, which I thought it still has. But it, as it turns out, it doesn't. I'm talking about this one. Prepared this earlier. It's great. Yeah, so this was the old classic yeah. guy. I didn't realise we were doing upsots. I would have tried to clip up some of these uh, quotes from um, the show. And the new theme song sounds terrible. Oh, it's awful. It's just this, this choir singing this sort of silly... I feel like you've, you've cheapened this discussion, Ben, because Tom's done a lot of work going into the whole political background of this episode. I thought you've I, just gone and played it an old played a clip. <laughs> played a little clip. Well, I was almost ready to give Tom the signal, but I don't know if we even agreed on, on a signal in the end. No, I, well, I a safe thought, word. Yeah. But it's interesting. Do you think that Thomas the Tank Engine continues to be a real political influence. I mean, even even today... The thing is, the new episodes are so kind of disposal, disposable, I should say. Can you edit that out? No. Oh, if I was cake, so I <laughs> yeah. demand edit, that. Edit. I made a mistake. 
um, so disposable. None of them stick in the mind. Like whereas these early episodes, they might be controversial, but you know they're they're memorable. So I couldn't really compare um, with the the new ones. But what I would note is that the characters are a lot nicer to each other, which immediately makes them in some ways less likable and less three dimensional. Well, I, I agree. I mean, the the fat control is now thin. That was that was a real tipping point. I don't think so. What do you mean? No, I think there is another thin controller. Oh, oh, so, so they tried they... to balance it out. Yeah, fat yeah. and thin as if to say... Literally it's... tried to balance it out, yeah. So they've tried to say, it's okay, whatever shape you are. Okay, so that... Maybe. Very... Oh, I mean, there may have been some argument that promoting morbid obesity as a lifestyle choice was not a very healthy message to be sending kids. I don't think you're but... promoting it when you call him fat, though, are you? Well, he's, he's done pretty well for himself. He owns a, a very respectable yet rail yard. Mm. Um, Clive Palmer owns a lot of stuff. I would like to see future series, you know, really tackle the big issues like the decline of British Rail mm. and um, what happens to the fat controller when uh, no one, you know, with with the the spread of uh, the motorway, for example, and um, public transport uh, more broadly. So kids, there's the kids, fat... kids are salivating over those storylines that Tom's. Well, I don't really understand why you need this built-up rail system on such a small island in the first place. Mm. So there's the fat versus thin thing, but Andrew, you were talking before we went on air about um, the fact that uh, there was an article saying there's not enough females on the show as well. Yeah, look, there's been talk of introducing quotas in the same way that, uh, you know, quotas on boards for companies. Well, they're also introducing foreign entities, you know, like yeah, the Australian so train. So it was all very PC because none of that would be very representative of a, of a you know, a union run rail yard from the oh, 1980s oh, absolutely particularly a Chinese um, train like can you can you imagine that the China I did bring up his name was... should have written it down yeah, yeah look, if, down. You, if you don't have it at your fingertips so there's Chinese really let, there's an Australian the one there's um, a Russian train called Ivan <laughs> and um, they're, intru- they're trying to introduce more females because um, as you would know Tom it was just Daisy the lone female in the uh, rail yards they should have introduced a female in that original series based on Margaret Thatcher. That would have been entertaining. <laughs> what a political nerd. <laughs> <Would it? laughs> um, so yes. where to next for Thomas? Um, what what changes do you think need to be made? Because to be honest, I'm not overly happy about it. I mean, we've talk, spoken about old and new Thomas and um, even though old Thomas was politically charged, I think it had you know, had a bit more guts to it. I think well, the other thing you can note in what we've discussed is that the two shows we've talked about thus far have a lot of similarities. They're both, uh, Fine and Sam and Thomas both started off as clay animations that then became digital animations, mm. both set in rural United Kingdom settings mm. and both offered deeply disturbing portraits of, uh, of social interaction if you cut below the surface. <laughs> Do you think that's been infiltrating the minds of children over these years subconsciously? Oh, well, they can't can't help but if you if that's if they watch it to the volume that my kids do, <laughs> which is quite a lot. I never knew any of this. I didn't understand that there was all of this going on behind the scenes. Did they have Thomas in Loxton, Ben? Well, funny enough, we only did have one, uh, two channels, ABC and Win, which was 5A back in the day, and there were a lot of kids' shows that I missed out on as a result. Was it a dream of yours to work for Win one day? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to comment in case this becomes something I want edited out. 
So how do we wrap this up? The issue of Thomas. Um, I don't think we need to wrap it up. We can just say thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> so we could go just cut there, couldn't we? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah.